I have a question. Can I ask you something? It's kind of tricky. Okay, so it's a question about Jesus. Or, or it's about Christians. Or churchy people. Maybe it's more about the church. I mean, it's not my question. Yeah, it's for a friend. Yeah, yeah, a friend. A distant relative who lives in France. No, 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 you, you wouldn't know them. You see, my kids asked me this question at bedtime the other night. What? We didn't ask him that. Well, it's for this guy at work, but he works in a different building. I, I really need you to, you know, tell me so I can tell him, you know? Asking for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. I'm just asking for my kids. Oh, I love that greeting. And uh, I want to say hi to everybody that's worshiping online at Bush Lake at West Tonka. All of you who are gathered, if you're a guest, just delighted um, to, to have you with us. And I'm so glad to be back safely from Israel with 44 people that joined me from West. We had just a marvelous time. And I uh, got a little bit under the weather, weather when I came back, so my voice may not be quite as strong, so be patient with me as I work through the message today, which you're, you're really going to love. It's as, it's as dense as cheesecake, I'm just telling you, but it tastes really good if you're willing to join me in it. Well, while I was away, in fact, this week, I received a card, a personal card from one of you on our Chan, Han, Chan Hassan campus, and it was really a nice card. It was just giving thanks for doing this series called Asking for a Friend, and yet the card kind of surprised me a little bit sometimes when I think of about people and if they write a note to the pastor and what kind of cards they include, include and it, it took me back. And I got to say, I love your sense of humor, but here's the cover of the card. It's a woman drinking from a bottle and it says, what page of the Bible explains how to turn water into wine? <laughs> I would never think of sending that to a pastor. And it says, asking for a friend. <laughs> Isn't that really good? So even the card companies are inspired by the series. It's just extraordinary. Though I have to say that is not one of the questions you raised in the survey last fall when 800 of you participated and gave us quite a job trying to sort out the priority and most important questions that were frequented the most. And the question I'm addressing today is, why are Christians such hypocrites? which can I tell you is just not nearly as fun as the wine question, it isn't, but it's really an important question um, for a lot of reasons and we wanna pay attention to what the Lord has to say about it because a common reason why people resist um, Christianity or putting faith in Christ is what they call um, the hypocrisy of Christians. It is a put off for them. Anecdotally, Brennan Manning believes this to be true. He, he writes these words, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And that is why an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And statistically, it's true. Um, I was a little surprised to have received this. I subscribed to the, the Barna Research Group. They had a study that came out just this past March 1st, just a couple of months ago. And in that study, they, um, they identified 14 possible causes as to why um, people in the world today um, struggle embracing or have doubt about Christian beliefs. It took me away. Top of the list. 42% said the hypocrisy of religious people. That was the first. Number two, human suffering. 
Now, I would have expected human suffering. If God is God, why is there so much human suffering to be top of the list? And they only came in at 23%, half as much as hypocrisy. So it's a big deal, as you can see. And it's something that we want to pay attention to because um, of how people are viewing Christians in the church today. It's a question they're asking. Why are we such hypocrites? I, I thought about it and I put my own reasoning from that research. So these, these are my words, but this is how I think they reason it out. Christians do not practice what they preach. They say one thing, but do another. If the Christian God exists, he doesn't seem to be powerful enough to transform his followers. And for this reason, I don't believe the Christian God exists. I think that's the reasoning that's there. And I have to say, at some level, it's a fair critique. That is, when we say something and our behavior is contrary to that which we say, it can just put a damper on people's desire or willingness to even want to know who this Jesus Christ is that we've come to love and to worship in our gatherings together. But can I say, if you have a friend who's asking a question about hypocrisy of church people or Christians, would you say to them, please, don't let the standard of what is right and good um, or let me put it this way, let the standard of what is right and good be God first, not people, because people will disappoint. And that is indeed the reality. That needed truth came to me when I was just probably in my late 20s. And there was a scenario in a short window of time when three famous Christian leaders had moral failings and they all went national at the same time. There was one who was found out to be having an ongoing adulterous affair. There was one who was swindling money from the TV audience. And there was another one who was frequenting massage parlors. And it had a tragic result and it went national. And the national disgust was palpable. In fact, it cast a long, dark shadow on people of faith, on the church, and even the reputation of Jesus himself, which just always breaks my heart when the reputation of Jesus gets harmed because of us. But I also had my own disappointment. I just, like, what have I gotten myself into? What have I said yes to, and how can this be happening? And so I found myself wanting to distance myself from Christians, but I am one. I wanted to almost disassociate from the church, but I was a pastor at the time. How do I do that? And so I had to bring some resolve. And very early in my 20s, I had learned a conflict management skill for me personally and just for life and trying to do leadership that has been very helpful to me. It's the image of a funnel. You know how a funnel goes. It's big on the top, and it comes down to the bottom. So I call it the funnel of conflict resolve. How do you get on the solution side of things? When we have conflict, oftentimes we, we live at that upper funnel. It's where we have feelings and thoughts and convictions and opinions and it begins to swirl and then other people join in on that but we don't get on the solution side of the problem. We just live in the swirl and we live with the internal disappointment. We have to follow the resistance to the core of what is at stake. What is the issue that I can get on the solution side? Side. And I was pressing into my resistance of wanting to distance and disassociate, and that's when that came to me. All oh, the standard of what is good and right is God first, not people. That was liberating for me to help understand we deal with each other and our disappointments all the time, but Jesus Christ is always good. Can I say that? 
and he's always right, and he's worth the pursuing. So it becomes really a poor excuse to say, I'm not interested in the things of faith because of the hypocrisy of the church and Christ's followers. There's a merit of truth, but it's an excuse. Please share with them, pursue Jesus for who Jesus is, and you'll discover goodness at every turn. So what I'd like to do here is, in the message, take a little bit of turn because um, terminology or words are really quite meaningless. Have you noticed that in the last several years, we're using words all the time, but people have different understanding of what they mean, or we don't even know what they mean. We're throwing all kinds of words out there, and we, we throw out the word woke, for instance, and go, what does woke mean? So every time somebody makes that comment, I go, what, what is woke to you? I have yet to have somebody give me a definition that's consistent with another person's definition. And then we use the word hypocrisy, but we're using hypocrisy in a way that's defined more by culture or our understanding of it than Jesus himself. And he has some strong things to say about that, which we'll see in a moment, but there, there's gotta be something because all of us say things and do things that are contrary at times, occasionally. And that means whether you're of faith or not of faith, we're all hypocrites along the way. Let's just test this out. In the last year, I'm giving you a whole year here. In the last year, have you sinned just one time? That's a long time to give you a whole year to think about this. Um, using, uh, saying something and then doing something contrary in your behavior to what you believe and what you said, just raise your hand. Just one time in the last year. Sure, okay. Um, all the other services had all the hands go up. Some of you didn't, so you are the precious group, I can see. <laughs> But you just level the playing field here, and you can see what's happening is none of us perfectly lives out um, our every belief, do we? And I love that this statement that we use at Westwood every once in a while, that all are welcome and no one is perfect, but anything is possible. Because we understand we're imperfect in living out our faith occasionally. But we use this term hypocrisy to describe something um, that we say and a behavior that's different but if we do that, it really is meaningless because we're all hypocrites uh, along. Just say to your neighbor, I'm a hypocrite. Oh yeah, you said that boldly too, didn't you? <laughs> well, you're, you're not a hypocrite if you take a look at what Jesus says. But if we use the cultural definition, so today's an instructional message, and I hope you will take hold of how Jesus intended this word and we would be less careless with how we use it for other people. You may not know this, but Jesus never called any of his disciples hypocrites. Yeah, I'm testing your thought on there, right? You're starting to go, well, what about, he didn't call his disciples hypocrites. He did warn them from falling into a pattern of hypocrisy. And who lives out that pattern most? It's the Pharisees. So he had a specific name for a group of people that were living a certain kind of way. And it's that kind of hypocrisy, let's find the integrity of what that word means from Jesus himself. So I'm gonna give a shot at the definition and show you the difference. A hypocrite. When someone claims to believe one thing, but continually unapologetically, and can I add, unremorsefully, practices another. So you can see I'm isolating here um, the intentionality of this um, repetitive way of behavior that's incongruent with what we believe as Jesus' use of um, the definition of hypocrisy. In fact, much of the rest of my message is gonna be Jesus himself. He's gonna preach the message. 
I looked up all of the accounts that Jesus refers to hypocrites, and I'm going to share 10 different verses, which is half as many as he actually used, but I'm going to run out of time with the 10. But I go, if Jesus is preaching the message, it's got to be a great message, amen? You'd want to say amen to that. If Jesus is preaching the message, it's got to be a great message. Yeah, it is. It's going to be, but I, t- I told you, it's like cheesecake. It's dense. So be with me. Every chew is well worth it as we step into it. And I pray today you'll leave with some clarity and some caution with how you use the word that we call um, hypocrisy. And let me add to that. It's important that Jesus absolutely delights in authentic faith. Even when it's imperfect faith. You know, when we don't get it right all the time. He delights in authentic faith. But I also tell you, he despises um, hypocrisy. And it becomes very clear in the warning that he gives. He punctuates, in fact, this reality of our journey with three traits that are really quite powerful. And he does not care for us when we pretend to be religious, to have a heart for God in this journey, but then go into a different place. So what I'd like to do is really talk about, first of all, the strong warning that he gives and three real practical examples to begin with. But we're going to look at 10 of the different verses. Let's start with the warning. Luke's gospel. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, do you think people wanted to be with Jesus, to see Jesus, to hear Jesus teach? I mean, they're, they're trampling on one another. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So this little verse tells us a few things. First of all, there's a crowd. There's a lot of people here and they're looking at you. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Something is about to rise up in you and you're going to like it. And something begins to take over and you're gonna to start to feel like you want to impress people, that you want to be noticed, that you want to be applauded in their presence. So he gives that first given warning and he calls out the example of the Pharisees here. And these Pharisees are the ones with whom Jesus uses the word hypocrisy or hypocrite. And he calls it to be like that of yeast. He's using a metaphor, uh, an analogy that was very common in that, that time and place that is the yeast of hypocrisy. And you know that yeast is something that starts really, really small and it begins to grow very, very fast. And he's calling hypocrisy similar to that given analogy. In fact, In the Bible, it often symbolizes yeast does evil. That kind of surprises us because when you think of yeast, you think of something good. You think of bread. Some of you make bread from just a little bit of yeast and you see how how beautiful it is and how good it tastes. We make pizza and it comes from that yeast that grows or caramel rolls along the way. This is the good side of it, but they could be evil too. If you indulge too much, it's not helpful to you in any kind of way. But this is the picture you have here. The yeast of hypocrisy, it works in secret, very small, and then it begins to penetrate, slowly spread in your life um, in, in, in terms of it saturating the way that you live. It starts so small, and then it just grows and grows. And here's the danger of it, is when it begins to grow, you're not even aware that it's happening. A case in point, David. 
David in the scriptures we know to be the man after God's own heart. What a beautiful name to be given to somebody. But would you like that name? Do you feel a little expectation with that name? And certainly he found himself in a precarious position. I do not think that David knew what was about to take place. It happened so quietly in the recess of his heart when he looked lustfully at that beautiful lady Bathsheba, yeah, I don't think he intended, I don't think he knew that that would begin to grow and become an engaged, adulterous affair. I don't think he knew that that would grow and spread to bringing about the murder of Bathsheba's own husband. I don't think David, the man after God's heart, knew that the kingdom would be experiencing a scandal because of that that would last for months and for years. It started so small. And it gave this impression, and this is the key to hypocrisy, that you begin to think, or you start to think, or you believe in your heart that all is well between me and God. Everything is right between me and God. And it's not. It's not. But it's so subtle in how it grows. You still think, I think David still thought, all is well between me and God. And it was not. That's the danger of hypocrisy. That's why so much warning and strong words that come out of it. So Jesus delights in authentic faith. He truly does. But he despises hypocrisy when we pretend to be religious, to have a heart for God, but rather we are just continually, um, unapologetically, unremorsefully in this place of hiding, detached from that given reality. That's what we find here. So I guess let's take a shift here and bring it home. How do we personally guard our hearts? I mean, if he's saying to the disciples then, I think he's saying to us now, be careful. Guard your heart from a trajectory of hypocrisy that quietly can grow inside of you. And he gives three traits. I'm gonna spend most of my time just on the first trait. I'm gonna touch on the other two because they're shades of the other and important to call out, but I'm not gonna spend as much time. So are you, are you ready to be prepared? And just be humble in the presence of the Lord. And if he's speaking to you, just let him speak. Here's the first trait. Hypocrites pay more attention to their reputation than to their character. That is, they are more concerned about the impression um, that they're making before others or how people perceive them than they are cultivating the very character qualities of Jesus Christ inside of them. And this perception leaves them in a place where sometimes you see two different extremes. There's the extreme where there might be the chameleon of faith, that is, the person who steps into a group and just becomes what that group is to the end that they don't even know that that person is a Christ follower because they just hide away. That's one extreme. But the other extreme is you put your religious nature, your spirituality on display for everybody to see. And that's what Jesus really gets to the jugular around. People who want to impress, take notice. I'm seeking your applause in my presence before you. And he takes issue with this and he gives another warning. And with this warning, three practical examples. Here's the warning from Matthew. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He takes that warning, he puts three examples around what you think would be good things, giving, praying, and fasting. But he's saying, check your motive, check your motive. Look at the three examples. First of all, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. There's the motive. Why are they giving? 
to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. They were looking to toot their horns. They were recognized for their generosity, probably praised for their generosity. They got the reward they were looking for in giving. But then even in praying, Jesus says these powerful words. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. What's their motive? Oh, to be seen. He's making a check, an alignment on what's happening on the inside with your motivation. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Want everybody to see how spiritual I am, how I pray, how eloquent I am in my prayers. I got the attention, the recognition from that. They got their reward. They don't need anything more. And then there's the third related to fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. What was their motivation? To show others. It's a motivation check. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So you find that there is an alignment here with the inside of our world and our motivation for why we're doing what we're doing. They wanted the reward now. And so they were looking for honor. They got it. They were looking to be seen. They were seen. They were looking to show off. And so they did. And they received their reward. There's nothing more for them. And you think that Jesus here because, uh, would you agree with me? He seems kind of hard-hitting. He's just like, here's this example. Here's this example. Here's this example. I, I use that analogy of driving a car. You know, when you're moving down pretty fast and your foot is on the pedal and you think, wow, could I go faster? And you think, well, Jesus would let the foot off the pedal. No, he takes it all the way down. And this is what he, what he says. Everything they do. Everything. See, now it's grown. That yeast has grown so little. It's taken over their whole lives. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Rabbi. They're looking for that honor, and this is what they get, their full reward to that given end. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I did a message a few years ago on the rewards of heaven. I don't know if you realize this, and I don't have time to unpack that message, but I may bring it again, is that we are assigned rewards in the heavenly realm, in the eternal place, after we leave this earth. And how we live here determines some of those assignments we get there. And here, Jesus is saying, no, you got your full reward. You were looking for those things here and now. You'll miss out on what it could have been in the life still to come. So he brings this caution. In this verse, um, it says that they had these phylacteries. And I realize that's an unfamiliar term, but it's actually based coming out of a scriptural teaching in Deuteronomy, verse 6, where God says um, that I have given you these commandments, put them in your heart, impress them on your children, talk about them um, when you're at home, when you're walking on the road, when you're rising up in the morning, when you're going to bed at night. Oh, talk about God and talk about his commandments, talk about his will and talk about his way. And then in verse eight, it says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So literally, some of the Jewish God followers did exactly that. And today, there are Orthodox Jews who do the same thing. I told you we just got back from Israel, a couple photos for you. We were um, at the, the Western Wall, where Herod's walls for the temple are. There's a synagogue attached to it. We were there on a Tuesday, and Tuesday's bar mitzvah day. It's when the boy 
becomes a man, and he gets his phylacteries. So you'll notice the phylacteries on the head. See the box? That's scripture. That's the scripture. And notice the, the, the leather straps. They're the external commitment to this truth that they were told about in Deuteronomy. In this image, you see this um, hunk of a dude, young man, who is, who's in the synagogue. I mean, he's really handsome for, yeah, that's a side story there. So anyway, but he sees the straps and how many they are that show his righteousness. He's reciting from the Mishnah there, not from the scriptures, but from the Mishnah, which is the interpretation of, um, of the word. And so I gotta be honest, literally, I, I think, I got a lot of respect. And I wonder if we could do a better job with our kids when they move from being a boy to a man, from a girl to being a woman, if we need a more pronounced way to communicate God's intention and will and way for your life, it's time to grow up. I think we could do that better. But on the other side of it, I want to say, let's reject the, let's not reject the intent of what was communicated when they started to literally wear these things. Don't just wear the symbol because it's hollow if you're just wearing the symbol to look righteous in front of other people. But on the inside, your heart, God calls us to impress the, the, the commands of God in the heart of kids and in our own heart as well. So I guess it begs the question, what are our modern day phylacteries? Anybody wearing a cross necklace right now? That's an external picture of what you believe to be true. Anybody tattoo a verse on your body or a symbol on your body that's of spiritual nature? It ain't coming off soon. It's a flactory it's a in, in essence. Or anybody wear Westwood swag? I brought some of it. We have it. Be in love like Jesus. Oh, that is our call. That is our way. That is our call to discipleship. But you don't want to just wear the symbol because that's hollow. You want the symbol to represent what's true in your heart. And so if you're about cursing your neighbor, don't be wearing this at the time you're doing it, okay? <laughs> so, just, we need to be mindful of our own phylacteries because the commandments are to be on our hearts, on the inside, so they flow to the outside. So when we give and we pray and we fast and we do kind things for other people, you have to ask, what, what's my motive? Or, or maybe ask the question, whose reputation am I projecting? Is it me or is it actually the Lord? That's what Jesus is calling us to. So hypocrisy has as its root these pretend motives. And I, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing and thinking, I usually, I almost always have moments where I go, man, the Lord's just speaking. I always avail myself, God, speak to me. Let me not just get up and preach and teach from the word as I come to understand the study. Speak to my own heart. This was my pause point. And I thought, boy, what if some of us right now are in a trajectory of hypocrisy and the Lord is saying, oh, please don't continue on that path. So how do you know? So I sat down and I wrote down three questions related to motive, I am questions. I'm not gonna rush through them. I'm just saying, would you posture yourself in a place of humility before the Lord and say, Lord, is this me? The first question, am I giving, praying, and fasting only in public? Because we do give in community. We do pray in community. We do fast in community. But am I practicing the art of giving, of praying, and fasting in secret 
before the eyes of God alone and no other people. If I'm only practicing those things in the public view, I may be on the road toward hypocrisy. Or the second question, am I keeping public appearances when my private world is out of order? Do you think Jesus has something to say about this? So when I ask you that question, I'd like you to say yes. Do you think that Jesus has something to say about this, public appearances? Okay. I told you I'm doing 10 verses, so I gotta keep you with me. Here's this one. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. I wonder what the tone was when he spoke those direct words. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And so he's speaking to the motive of my integrity. Integrity is a congruency of my inner world with my public world, and that's when life is well with God and with each other. But if my motives are not in alignment with that, if I find myself where I'm continually, unapologetically, and can I say, unremorsefully continue to give a public appearance, when my inner world is way out of order, I may be on the trajectory of hypocrisy, or the third, am I acting spiritual because I'm hiding sin? Sometimes we kind of go into hyper mode to cover up sin that may deep on the, be deep on the inside. Do you think Jesus has something to say about this? Yes. yes. <laughs> he does. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Yet you're acting spiritual in front of everybody, but in fact, you're hiding your sin. That I appear religious, but continually and unapologetically and unremorsefully continue in that practice of sin. Just Jesus is saying, be careful. We don't wanna be like the Pharisees, more concerned with how we're perceived before others and what they think of us rather than what God knows of us and God knows everything about us. So live with the humility that he sees you, he knows you, he understands you, he loves you in spite of yourself to come alongside to bring help and hope. And so I pause around that for just a moment and to simply say that there's a, there's a way forward. Some of you might be in this place where you just feel the pinch of this, that, that the Lord Jesus has taken a hold of you with his words. I pray that that's the case. And I wanna give you a path forward that there's a way to order your private world. I wanna put up the name of a, a book written by Gordon McDonald, actually two books. Ordering Your Private World, he wrote when I was in my 20s. And by the way, that has been um, reissued with another edition, another edition, another edition, and another edition. You know that if a book has been around for 40 or 50 years, it's a good book. And it's gonna be a classic. I read it in my 20s, I've read the reissued most recent one, it is such a beautiful guide to how to order your private world. If your private world is not in order, um, 
pick up the book, you'll find it helpful. He went through his own crisis of faith later, Rebuilding Your Broken World is also both of those books, both and or either or would really be helpful and good for you. Let me just touch on the other two points before we go, and that is the, the second um, reality and trait that he gives us. Hypocrites carefully practice religious acts while their heart remains distant from God. I told you that it's very closely aligned with the first, but it has a unique distinctive, and that is a hypocrite gets attached to the what we do related to our identity more than the who or the why we do what we do. And so we quickly become checklist God followers along the way where we are taken by the details in our checklist, did that, did that, did that, did that, but we are not in touch with the depth of our internal reality. Do you think Jesus has something to say about that? We're getting close. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It should be a both and. Continue to give generously. That's an important part of our expression, but do not neglect the call to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your Lord. And that's the call that he gives to us. Don't be a checklist God follower. And the tragic result of that when we do is hypocrisy shuts out people from wanting to know this God. Do you believe that Jesus has something to say about this? Are you great? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He said, you're not walking through the entrance of kingdom life in the here or now, and you're, you're an obstacle. You're prohibiting others to come in as well. That is just a tragic reality of what happens when we live a life of hypocrisy. And you know who wants to know God more than anybody else don't you? Children. Children just want to know God. And can I tell you, they have a built-in antenna to smell their parents. You know that's true. So if parents put on a tone and voice spiritual language when they're with church people and Christian people, but they go home and their tone changes and that they're verbally abusive to their kids, the children take note. And they want little to do with following the God of their parents. So if you're a parent in that given place, keep your heart soft. Sometimes, occasionally, you will say and do things that are not in the best interest of your children and just say, I'm so sorry I said that to you. I'm learning to be and love like Jesus. Would you forgive me? This is the way of the Lord. As parents, don't power over, power under with humility. And so how do we avoid it in our own spiritual walk? Oh, the third one, I have to at least put up as a reference. Hypocrites emphasize their virtue while pointing out the other sins and failings. And I only reference it because it ended up being one of the two top questions. Why do Christians judge so much and why are Christians so hypocritical? I gave that message on April 23rd in this series. You can reference it by going to our website. It's there for you. But really, we are in a place where the last few years, the Church of Jesus Christ has not been the light to our nation, you know that. People perceive us as being too judgmental and too harsh. That's another layer there. So let me wrap up with this final thought we need to be done. How do you avoid it in your own spiritual walk? Just encourage you to be authentic, be real. Talk to God every day, just like you talk to a friend. When you say, I don't know what to say, well, what do you say to your friend? Just enter into that conversation, pray to God um, every day. Secondly, open up the word. 
be in the word of God because if you're not, it's, it's like yeast. All of a sudden, one day without being in the word goes to three days, goes to three weeks, and goes to three months. Just be in the word. But when you're in the word, start out. I do this when I read the word of God. I start out the same way, Lord, speak to me. I don't just open and read it, checklist. I say, Lord, speak to me, and God does. And then the third thing is simply confess your sin and deal with it. Some of you today may need to make a call and tell someone, hey, could we get coffee together? And you need to say to them, I'm so sorry. Keep your heart soft. It will keep you from getting on the trajectory of hypocrisy. That's the gift. So if you're asking for a friend who says, I got issues with the hypocrisy of Christians, the reality is we have issue in that definition with the hypocrisy of everybody. But with our new understanding of it, you'll want to say to them, oh, please, the standard of what is right and good is God first, not people. People will disappoint. Jesus will not. He is always good and always right. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you open your hands just in a spirit of humility and receive this prayer? Father God, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you even for hard teaching. From the lips of Jesus himself, we have heard you, O Lord. Be careful. Pay attention. Something rises up within us where all of a sudden we're inclined to want to impress people, to be noticed, to find applause. And before we know it, we forget altogether whose we are, and we find ourselves in a place where we pretend to have a relationship that's right with you, and on the inside, we know it is not right with you. And Lord, if there be anyone here who knows they're not in a right place, use this message as an encouragement and a hope to get the internal world in order, that the external world would represent your joy and your love, that we would indeed be a light in the world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.